Wasn't it inspiring to hear about the mission trip? I loved it. And we're going to continue on with this theme because Abraham and Sarah were both real missionaries, both in Ur of the Chaldees and wherever they went. I'd like you to take out this bulletin insert and the one that says Journey of Faith. At the top, it says, by faith. We're talking about Sarah today, and we're also talking about each of us. And so, sometime in the service or at the end, I'm hoping you will write your name here, by faith. There's room enough for families to write all of their names. By faith, Sarah. We're not going to give away the story, but it says, she judged him faithful who had promised. Her name, Sarah, means princess. There's a lot of interest in princesses now amongst young people. In fact, when I was a, a girl, I thought I'd be like to be a princess too. Probably some of you have as well. Um, but anyway, she was the daughter of one of the citizens of Ur of the Chaldees. Around 3000 BC, Ur of the Chaldees was a city with an exceptionally high culture. In the schools of Ur, reading, writing, arithmetic, and geography were taught. Well-preserved ruins of houses, temples, and a temple tower have been discovered, and by this we know that houses were usually two stories high, and the ground floor rooms were centered around a central courtyard. The city had running water with an efficient sewage system even. So Sarah grew up living in a very cultured city, extraordinarily beautiful, daughter of a wealthy man, and married Abraham, and many believe he was well-educated. So we see Sarah as having everything, a name meaning princess, beauty, wealth, a fine husband, later considered to be a prince, and living in a very cultured city. Well, as it turns out, Sarah did not have everything she could possibly want, at least not when she wanted it. In Genesis 11.30, it says succinctly, but Sarah was barren. She had no child. It's very clear that on a personal level, she will not be able to experience the expression of motherhood, which was the defining quality of womanhood in ancient times. Both Sarah and Ur grew up in the Ur of the Chaldees in the midst of prevailing polytheism, heathenism and superstition, where the gods that were worshipped were distant, cruel, arbitrary, and needed to be appeased by even human sacrifice. They'd heard about the Creator God, who was loving, compassionate, and merciful, and even communicated with his followers. They'd also heard accounts of true followers of God, as well as those who had rejected him. Their father, Terah, worshipped the true God, 
but also other gods. At some point, Abraham and Sarah decided to worship only the true God. It must have taken enormous strength and faith to go against the surrounding seductive beliefs and influences even from their own father. We're told that Abraham and Sarah had told many relatives and friends and others in the city about this one true God, and their lives were a strong and attractive demonstration of their God's power to transform and bless. We do not know exactly how long Abraham and Sarah lived in Ur, but it's been estimated that at least the first 60 years for Sarah and the first 70 for Abraham. So this was definitely their secure and settled home. Then God spoke to Abraham, asking him to leave his country and kindred and go to a land that God would show him. The influence of kindred and friends would interfere with the training that God planned to give both Abraham and Sarah. Imagine the moving preparations involved in moving the whole family with Nahor, the aging, I'm sorry, Terah, the aging father, nephew Lot, brother Nahor, servants, clothing, cooking utensils, tents, and all the other countless things one would need for the next, actually, rest of their lives, because we find that they lived in tents the rest of their lives. Before long, word got out to friends and family and people in the city about this big move. One can only imagine the questions. So, where are you going to? Well, actually, we're not sure. We don't know. And why are you leaving this wonderful city with your beautiful home? Well, our God has told us to. One can only think that these questioners left, shaking their heads. So off they went, down the road, clouds of dust swirling around them as the carts and people and animals slowly headed north up the Euphrates River. And according to Mr. Vixie, an authority in these things, they would need to stop and camp each night after traveling around 12 to 15 miles. So after traveling about 560 miles, a very long trip, it would have taken at least six weeks. They interrupted their journey to Canaan and stayed in Haran for a while. The reasons were likely because Terra was aging and more feeble, and also the attractiveness of the area with its fertile pasture lands. And it was here, though, that Terra died, their father. At this point, God speaks again. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. At this point, Abraham was 75 and Sarah 65. And so Abraham and Sarah, Lot, 
servants and others who had come to the worship of the one true God, left Mesopotamia, the land of their birth, and journeyed from Haran towards Canaan. His brother Nahor and his household clung to their idols and ended up staying in Haran. It was again a long journey of around 450 miles from Haran to the area where they finally settled in the southern part of Canaan. After a long and tiring journey, they arrived at the land of their posterity, only to find it occupied by the Canaanites with their strongly fortified cities. God spoke again in a very short message, to your descendants I will give this land. Again, great faith was needed to believe that they, this childless old couple, would have descendants who would occupy this land. Here, Abraham and Sarah worshiped God and built an altar, one of many that they would build at each of their stops along the way. So here, they were finally in the land that God had shown them. They had taken great faith in God's leading to believe that they could leave home and family and friends and come to a place that God would show them. Then, there was a severe famine in the land. So they traveled down to Egypt in order to buy food. As they approached Egypt, Abraham told Sarah, I know you are a really beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say, you're my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. It is clear that Abraham's faith and trust in God failed at this time. He was asking his wife to tell a lie. Well, it was partly true because she was his half-sister. However, her primary relationship was as Abraham's wife. And so, as they came to Egypt, they were met by officials, perhaps the immigration officials at the border, who undoubtedly asked numerous questions, with Sarah giving her half-lie as instructed by Abraham. After the officials let them move on, they probably sent word to Pharaoh about this large group of people who had come from Canaan to get food. And by the way, there was a really beautiful woman in their group. And Pharaoh responded as the officials might have predicted. He asked for her to be brought to his court to check her out and see if she might be the right woman to become his wife or maybe one of his wives. We don't really know that. Imagine the moment when officials from Pharaoh's court came to Abraham and Sarah's encampment and asked for Sarah to come to Pharaoh's court. What would Abraham and Sarah be thinking at this moment? Had I been in her place, my heart and mind would have raced with forebodings and a thousand questions. I'm to be taken away from my husband to go to a pagan environment and likely become the wife of a pagan king? My name means princess, but I never envisioned becoming the wife of a pagan king. 
The officials are waiting, so likely with short prayers for God to intervene, embraces and kisses, farewells are said. Would they ever see each other again? So, Sarah met the Pharaoh, and he decided to make her his wife. Here we insert a brief parenthesis. Sarah was now around 65, and still really beautiful. She lived to be 127, so we would consider her now, I suppose, to be middle-aged, maybe upper-middle-aged. Uh, we know that we become like what we worship. The Egyptians worshipped cruel and demonic gods. And so the worshippers lived in fear and dread, traits which would tend to etch and erode beauty. Sarah, on the other hand, had for years trusted and worshipped God, who had always shown his love and care to her. And so her face must have shined with God's grace and goodness. The same can be said, by the way, of women in this congregation who, at any age, even in their 80s and 90s, I've noticed, are still really beautiful. So, preparations for the wedding were begun. Pharaoh gave Abraham the customary dowry, which was grand. Sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, men servants and maidservants. Then, serious plagues fell on Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh summoned Abraham and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. They were ordered to leave Egypt with everything they had, including all the gifts Pharaoh had given them, and hopefully some food, because that's why they came there. Abraham's lack of faith, though, had endangered Sarah and was actually a pretty sad demonstration of a lapse of, God's fa of faith of one of God's followers. Back in Canaan, years passed with more accounts of the life of Abraham and Sarah, and another very similar event happened with the king of Jehar, Abimelech. Another lapse of faith on the part of Abraham and Sarah almost becoming the wife of yet another king. There were invasions by surrounding nations, a brave rescue by Abraham and his servants, of Lot and his family and other residents of Sodom. And accounts of Abraham and Sarah being respected as followers of the one true God. Life in their home was peaceful, and one can imagine Abraham and Sarah often sitting outside under a spreading tree, recounting God's faithfulness to them, looking out over the flocks of sheep and cattle grazing on the hills. They continued to worship God morning and evening, inviting all the servants to join them and anyone in the surrounding area. They welcomed strangers who passed by and were known far and wide as kind and generous people who worshiped the one true God. As the years passed, hopes for a child, though, faded. Sarah was around 75, 
It seemed now that there was absolutely no possibility that she could have a child. So Sarah came up with an idea. She had an Egyptian maid, Hagar, probably one of the gifts given by Pharaoh when they were in Egypt. And she suggested the idea that Abraham could go in unto her and Sarah could have a child by her. The legal codes of Mesopotamia recognizes practice whereby a childless wife might give one of her slaves to her husband and obtain children by her. It was legal and people around them did it. For Sarah, Abraham, and for us, trusting God in the midst of seemingly impossible situations is very difficult. How often we too come up with solutions to these challenges, feeling confident in our own judgment and wary of waiting for God. Abraham, Sarah, and we all too often ignore nagging questions and stops, which are probably promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we carry on. God would have been all too willing to have given Abraham and Sarah warnings and counsel to not proceed with this plan, which would, in the end, cause great pain and suffering to countless thousands of people in the future, even to our time. This is another parenthesis. We've just commemorated September 11, and we're told that Osama bin Laden hatched this plan, and one of the reasons was because the United States tended to side more with Israel. And so it goes on, the bloodshed, the pain from this idea. And if only they'd waited for God. Let us read together in our sheet, scripture number two. And I'd like you to join me as we read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But tragically, Abraham agreed to Sarah's plan and within a few months, Hagar became pregnant. The results were predictable. Hagar became haughty and proud, given that she was to be the mother of Abraham's heir. And Sarah became resentful and at times harsh with Hagar. It had always been God's plan for men and women now and then to have love and affection for only one spouse. Then and now, when this sacred circle is broken with multiple wives, affairs, whatever, heartaches are the inevitable result. So one day, the pregnant Sarah decided to flee Sarah, pregnant Hagar, sorry, decided to flee Sarah and go into the wilderness, alone and afraid. An angel of the Lord met her and asked, where have you come from? And what are you doing? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself under her hand. 
The angel who was really the Lord comforted her and named her child Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Hagar was asked to return, probably because Ishmael would need a father to instruct him about God, which undoubtedly happened for the first 16 or so years of his life. We read that God spoke directly to Abraham four times in the 10 years from the call of, to leave Ur of the Chaldees until some time before the birth of Ishmael. Each time, God repeated his promise of descendants. During one of these direct encounters, it says, and he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. But now, for the next 13 years, during the time that Ishmael was growing up, we have no record of God speaking directly to Abraham. In fact, scripture is silent about this entire time. Abraham and Sarah undoubtedly still continued to worship God and witness to those around them. They both probably concluded that Ishmael was the promised son. She had probably come reluctantly to this realization. And this resignation was mixed with quiet tears, I imagine, and sadness. She had so longed to be the mother of the promised son. And so the years of waiting continued. Let us listen to a rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him, and he shall give thy heart's desires. Commit thy way unto him, and trust in him, and fret not thyself because of evildoers. This text is found in Psalms 37.
Then, suddenly, when Abraham was 99 and Sarah 89, the Lord appeared to Abraham and repeated his instructions and the terms of the covenant. During this encounter, God said, I've made you a father to many nations. God also said, your wife Sarah, I will bless her and give you a son by her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, saying, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred, and to Sarah who is ninety? He laughed in God's face, doubled over, and God understood. Then, shortly after this, three men who were really the Lord and two angels came by their encampment, and Abraham ran out to meet them and invited them to come in, had their feet washed, and Sarah and the servants prepared a meal, which they ate outside. The Lord told Abraham that this time next year, Sarah would have a child. Sarah in the nearby tent door overheard this, and she laughed. It seems that for both of them, this was laughter of doubt at the absolutely, seemingly impossibility of this announcement. And the Lord responded, is anything too hard for the Lord? God gave the name Isaac to the yet unborn son, meaning he laughs. Soon it became obvious that Sarah was pregnant, expecting a child. Her barrenness was changed to fullness. And then, The great day arrived when Isaac was born. And Abraham and Sarah's doubting laughter changed into laughter of joy when the faithfulness of God was shown so miraculously in their little baby Isaac. It had been 25 years since God had asked them to leave Ur of the Chaldees and promised to make of them a great nation and a blessing More recently, God had even opened the future regarding Jesus, the coming Redeemer. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad, Jesus said. The barrenness of Sarah reminds us of our own barrenness and longing for the fullness that God promises us. On our own journey of faith, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Let's read together Ephesians 3, which is number 8 on your sheet. You can read it silently, and I'll read it out loud. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think, And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. 
Yes, we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This fullness is the righteousness of our God and Savior. Scripture number six says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. One key way to look to Jesus is through scripture. Number seven says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In 2 Peter 1, which is number six, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature. As we conclude, Let's journey on as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.